Hello and welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast. My name is Phil. Joining me as usual, I've got Rohan. How's it going? Hey, good. And today we are joined by Dean. Welcome, Dean. Hello. Thank you. Whereabouts in the world are you joining us from, Dean? Um, from PA, Pennsylvania, uh, Pittsburgh. Nice one. Thanks. Um, so as usual, we do have to pay some bills before we start the episode. Uh, are you willing to do an ad read for us? Absolutely. I'm so ready for this. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Ready? Go for it. Yeah. This episode of the Home Assistant Podcast is sponsored by Home Assistant Cloud by Nabucasa. Easily access your local Home Assistant instance remotely for a small monthly or apparently annual fee that supports the Home Assistant and ESP Home project. Configuration is done via the user interface, so no fiddling with router settings, SSL certificates, or any YAML. Okay. Love it. Um, so, Dean, you reached out to us... Not too long ago, um, and I got you on the. I wanted to get you on the podcast straight away. Um, one, it was probably the longest email submission we had received in terms of you know <laughs> someone wanting to come on the podcast. So thank you for that. I really appreciate all the notes. Um, but you did mention that you were just getting started or uh, with Home Assistant, and you were, you know a, a beginner in Home Assistant. Um, and so I wanted to get you on while you are still fresh in that new phase of Home Assistant before you become a, a veteran of Home Assistant and, and things just become normal just in case you've got questions that I'm sure other people in the community uh, have and you want answers to. So, yeah, I guess maybe give us a, a bit of a, an intro to yourself, how you found Home Assistant, how you got into home automation and, and, and what's led you here today. Okay. Um, I have always been working in IT. Uh, I've always been around computers. And when I started getting into smart home, uh, you get introduced to it from a lot of proprietary companies and apps and stuff like Google Home, stuff like that, Amazon Alexas. And my first ever instance was when I was in college a couple of years ago. And I got an Amazon Alexa. And I started, I had like a couple hue lights in my dorm. And I was saying like a couple uh, verbal routines that you'd say, turn on the lights, do this, that. And I thought that was awesome. But then you think to yourself, you know, oh, well, I want to do this. Amazon doesn't let you do that. And then that always kind of frustrated me. And then I got to, uh, I moved in with my roommate. uh, And then we had a second roommate come in. And so all three of us live in this house together that he has. And we are a full, we wanted to set up like a smart house, smart home era in here. And we started with the Google Mesh, which was a lot of Google speakers, uh, Google Wi-Fi, um, and we've loved it because there's a Google Assistant all throughout the house. All Everything kind of integrates together. Playing music through all the speakers was awesome. Um, I definitely enjoy the Google workflow a little bit more or the Google environment a little bit more than the Amazon Alexa that I've experienced. Um, I think mm-hmm. you have a little bit more freedom. Um, and all of our smart lights in the house are all Singled. So uh, we were able to control all that throughout the through the Google Home app and stuff like that. Um, and that's how I got into it, at least. And once I started using these apps more, I started getting back into that thing. Why can't I do this? Well, why can't I do that? Right. And I started looking up online for other options, and I came across the Home Assistant. And I, I was like, oh, this is neat. I'll start checking it out. And as soon as you know the rabbit hole, you just jump into it and you start falling down this huge pit, and you're just yeah. like, I, there's, there's, there's so many things you can do with it that it'll just keep you busy forever. And uh, so far, I've been loving it. I ordered my first um, coordinator stick online. It nice. was a Conbi two USB stick. Yep. 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 And 
uh, that's whenever I started the whole my whole first instance trying to set it up. Yeah. Well, when, when you do that, you have that giant rabbit hole. You can throw your wallet in there too, right? It's, uh, it's, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, it's it always a expensive hobby too. Yeah. No, no, but <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. So, okay. So that's kind of cool. I mean, so how long overall from like when you started to today, like, like how long do you think it's been? I sent you guys that email on November 18th. Yeah. And I believe I set up the coordinator early November because I think I said the email like a couple weeks, two okay. weeks maybe. So yep. I started in November, I would say. Okay. So you're still fairly fresh at the home assistant in your home assistant journey. Yeah, call. I would say so. Okay. Especially because most of the people you guys have on here is like, they're like five years, six years deep into it. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I think even Phil and I have been, I don't know, in the point oh. 30s yeah, release maybe right. early 40s release like it's so dean you, you would have missed so much of the early days right like just pure yaml doing all your configuration uh if you wanted things nicely in cards you'd have to use groups um <laughs> yeah it, it, yeah like it's been like i'm not make trying to poke fun of homes in any way i think it's seeing the project having the evolution it has has been amazing um to where it is today um so I guess from your perspective, as someone that uh, joining a home assistant in, you know, just November now, November 2022, you would have had to be forced to use YAML for most parts. Uh, you would have been able to, you've got uh, dashboards, which were previously called Lovelace, which were the evolution from the old States UI, which you probably don't even have mm-hmm. any idea what no. it is. And we just sound like two grumpy old men, right? Talking on a podcast like, <laughs> oh, yeah, young whippersnappers come in here and you didn't even have to go back through YAML. You don't know That's nothing, right? right? Um, so from your perspective, I mean, do you even use YAML in your configuration? Have you touched YAML in needing to set up home assistant? How seamless has the experience been for you? I would say at the start, um, the reason why I thought that it was such an easy thing to get into is because you don't really have to use it nowadays when mm-hmm. you first uh, set it up. A lot of the stuff that they have in there is kind of plug and play with their um, automations, everything. There's a lot of UI stuff you can play with. Yeah. Um, after a while of using, probably the first month and a half, I was using just those uh, UI interfaces. And you, you, you occasionally, you'd accidentally hit the YAML and you'd be like, oh God, that's scary. And then you'd go back to the <laughs> UI. And after about a month or so of using it, um, I started getting into uh, like GitHub repositories and started like integrating uh, mm-hmm. like hacks integrations and stuff like that, or like manual installs. And those typically require some sort of basic YAML. And once you start doing it, it makes a lot more sense because it, it, you know, it's it's English. You know, it's it makes sense to yeah. uh, once you put some time into it. Um, I would say as of right now, I'm doing about seventy percent UI and thirty percent YAML for all my integrations, automations, and stuff like that. Uh, a lot of them are like custom cards that they just don't have a u- uh, user interface, mm-hmm. so there's really no option with those. But um, I'm really liking the fact that i mean hacks is a, once i discovered hacks it like opens up this whole world <laughs> to possibilities i mean yeah. that's oh yeah hacks is like on top of the what like ten thousand integrations home assistant has maybe not ten thousand but the the crazy amount of integrations home assistant already has and then there's yeah, just another endless pit of integrations that you can go down with hacks it's yeah. amazing yeah yeah, it's it's it, it brings in the ten thousand ish, right? <laughs> like it's because 
and anybody can make it and anybody can throw it up on there. Right. Um, give and take, right. There's also good and bad behind it. Right. It's not quality verified from the homeless team and not officially supported out, but got a lot so, of cool stuff there. Dean, are you using the Home Assistant UI front end to do your automations or are you using another tool like Node-RED to do your automations or is it all just go into Home Assistant, go to the automations um, settings area and create automation from there? As of right now, all of my automations are done in the UI. I have mm-hmm. Node-RED installed and I have it set up. I just haven't gotten there yet. Uh, I'm, I'm trying yeah. to tackle YAML first. and once I feel like that kind of goes hand in hand. Yep. Yeah. Somewhat. I don't really know yeah. a whole lot about Node-RED besides that it's like a it's like a flow workplace. You, know, you yeah. Stack everything together. How have you found the experience of building automations in a home? Like, did you find it intuitive? Do you think that there are like you sort of needed to Google around to find out what does this mean, or was it intuitive enough for you to go, okay, yep, this is a action, this is a condition, away I go. Um, it it really honestly it made really clear sense. You kind of have to be a little bit more defined when you say when you use things like entities, like uh, using user groups mm-hmm. or entity groups and uh, entities by themselves was a little bit uh, confusing. Once I started setting up groups, it started making a lot more sense because what I was doing originally was if I wanted to turn on three lights in my room, I was having the light turn on. Uh, call service and I was three times yeah for one for each yeah. individual entity and that was just not cutting it and yeah you could just say all the lights in my room turn on and that's super nice yeah how did you find the the integration between home assistant and I think you said you're using google home right at home so yeah um how do you find like did you find that to be easy difficult um it was very easy with home okay. assistant cloud uh, setting hey, it up with Casa. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> honestly, I set it up um, by myself and I used like the uh, like the, mm-hmm. the keys and stuff and yep. it worked. But once I set up Nabucasa Cloud, it was just it was like instant. You, know, yeah. you wait a couple seconds yeah. and then it just links up and you're good. Yeah. Yeah, it made and, it and, very streamlined. And and in gen- in general, I mean I think everybody knows this. We Phil and I both use Nabucasa for exactly that right and and again outside of supporting the project too so it's it's pretty cool um another reason why someone i mean really should consider it is because my where i live my isp changes my public ip address and so when i go to you know port forward and actually set up like vpn access to my home assistant it'll just change after like a month and i i lose complete control of my home assistant no matter where i'm at and i just can't live with that yeah yeah I mean, the other thing is too, I mean, you're in, you mentioned Dean, you're, you're in technology, right? So, you, you know, it, it's not overly difficult to figure out if you didn't want to do it that way or whatever it is, right? You can, you can, you know, set up your dynamic DNS and blah, 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 whatever. But the other, the other thing is you don't necessarily have to, right? right? It's, it's, there's still power bills people have to pay and stuff like that. The more things you run, obviously, the more power you're using, so on and so forth. So. I don't know, something else to consider too, right? So Yeah. And I have, I've started looking into like dynamic DNS setup and stuff because I have, mm-hmm. I'll get into this when I talk about my first experience, but I have a uh, server set up and I run a lot of services on like Docker containers. And that's how yep. I actually started with Home Assistant. Yeah. 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 All right. get, get into it. <laughs> Let's, how, how did that go? So my first instance of setting up Home Assistant was a 
was just a great time. Um, so as I mentioned before, I live with two roommates. Uh, we all have the Google Mesh set up in the house, Google ecosystem, um, and all of our lights are single-ed smart lights, and that is important. So I started whenever I built my first NAS. I put together this little computer, um, loved it, fully spec'd it out, mini ITX board, unrelated. Um, I started getting into Docker containers. I found Home Assistant on there, and I was like... I actually think I found it on the Docker container list of apps nice. before anything yep. else. And I was like, nice. this is super cool. And I kind of looked into it. Um, I started it up in a Docker container. I had a little bit of an issue passing a, a USB device to it mm-hmm. in a Docker container. That was my first issue. Um, I ordered the uh, coordinator, the Zigbee coordinator, which at that time I had no idea what Zigbee was. I Thought it was just a name for something. Apparently, it's close to Wi-Fi, whatever. I don't know what works. (laughs) I got the combi stick. I plugged it without an extender cable just directly into the USB port on the back right next to the Wi-Fi antenna, which two things that operate on the same frequency, don't put them right next to each other because that just messes everything up. Um, I didn't know. Again, I didn't know that at the time. So that was the first strike that I made unknowingly. Um, I started setting up the lights in my room, which were Philips bulbs. And I was like, okay, this actually works. I was clicking it, mm-hmm. and that local home uh, response time of clicking a button and having the light turn on is just instant. And like having that felt so great because a lot of the time when you use those kinds of apps, like the Philips Hue, not so much with the Philips Hue, but like singlet apps or uh, whiz bulbs or something like that, you start seeing mm-hmm. that delay yeah. from responding to the cloud. And, uh, having that space gone was just, it was a great feeling. So I was very excited. I got, I, I set up home assistant for the first time. I got it technically working and I was like, okay, this is it. We're ready for the house. And so I got my roommates together. I gave them this huge literal, like five slide PowerPoint. And I was like, let's wow, you're at that level. I, yeah. I was like, I stumbled upon something big. I was like, this is great. And we're all into computers. We're all in it. And so I was like, this is perfect. We're all going to get together and like work on this together and build a smart home and all that stuff. And after like, it was probably like an hour or so of talking to them. I was like, they gave me the go ahead to like start messing around with stuff in the house. They're like, all right, let's give it a shot. Let's start with this. So I'm, I set up my, uh, I set up the home assistant. It was running and I started unplugging the Singled hub and I started pairing all the bulbs in the house. Right. Now, this is a huge beginner's mistake because I didn't understand how Zigbee works. I did not understand the difference between an end device and a router, and that right. was probably my biggest fault here. So I set up all of the devices, and it worked, and I was so excited. And I started showing them how to use the app. I installed the app on their phones. I was you know, showing them how to log in and stuff. And then as soon as I got back to my room after setting up all of this, they, I got a, a call from one of them and they were like, Hey, my lights aren't working. And so I walked over and I was like, this will be easy to fix. And it just literally wasn't responding. I was hitting it on the app and it was just completely unresponsive. Was this on the home assistant app or, um, yeah. okay. Right. Yep. And so I didn't understand what was going on. I was like, okay, give it a couple minutes. 10 minutes came by, nothing happened 20, 30, 40. And then we were, I was like, okay, whatever. We'll just call it. And I was like, set in my head. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. It works. I know it works. But after um, some troubleshooting and 
I didn't even know how to troubleshoot at first. Uh, I just had mm-hmm. the app running. You know, I didn't know I didn't know what logs were. I didn't know how to troubleshoot uh, issues with Home Assistant. And honestly, the biggest thing is I didn't really know understand Zigbee. I didn't really take the time to learn about it. And so, for those who don't know, what ended up happening was a couple things were at play here. One, uh, I, I believe, was uh, that did, definitely didn't help was improper setup of the Zigbee coordinator. I had the USB plugged in directly to the back I.O. slot of the motherboard right next to the wireless antennas, mm-hmm. which are operating on the same frequency. So there was a lot of uh, communication issue there because it's a lot of interference. And so that makes it harder to reach the bulbs. And then the second thing, probably the biggest thing, is that the reason why it's important that you know that I have single LED lights is that because they are not router devices, they are end devices. So when yeah. looking at a mesh network, you start seeing all the devices communicating with each other. And they're sending the signals through each other and extending the overall range of the smart home. And I was just like, oh my god, that's crazy. That's great. Um, single LED bulbs don't do that. And so... <laughs> I was probably work. It was working up until the kitchen, which was like the next room over, and like the kitchen bulbs were a little delayed. And then past that, it was no response. So right. I got I got the plug pulled on me pretty quick um, by the roommates, and understandably, you know, I just broke yeah. their entire. I basically bricked a lot of the stuff. Um, the bulbs are fine, but that USB stick got fried. I don't know what happened. I like tried to oh, do wow. a manual update on it um, through command line. It just didn't work. So. I was pretty beaten down. I was like, okay, I just messed up big. I was like, I'm, you know, I'm probably gonna have to drop this. And I was like, no, you know what? Let's the whole reason behind home assistant is the whole selling point is that it's open source and community driven. So there is, Mm -hmm. there are infinite resources online on what to dig through. And I was just pounding through forum pages, like trying to find what was happening, you know, what could have caused this. And I ordered two more, uh, uh, coordinators and yep. I got one on the back and I ordered a I saw that online somebody said you have to separate it from the wireless uh, mm. the wireless antenna on the back of the computer so I got a 12 foot extender <clears throat> I plugged it into the computer I, I just like taped it to my wall it's like up there somewhere <laughs> and I took off the original um, antenna that was on it and I just put a full on like wireless router antenna on it to like make it bigger um, yeah. I uh, I would think that helped, but it, honestly, I don't even know. Um, but I, I did that. And once I started realizing that, hold on, let me double check where I'm at right now. So I started figuring out what the issue was. And I started getting uh, the, some smart devices online. I got a couple, uh, what are they called? Like the smart outlets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and those are router devices. So I was yeah. like, these are fantastic. And then I've started moving over to the living room, and so now I control this in the living room. Um, from there, it was just now that it's set up, um, I actually ended up moving it from a Docker container to running it as a VM on my NAS because I had issue at the beginning of setting up the USB device and passing it through, and it's way easier to pass through a USB device to a VM. And I think when I was doing the Docker container, it was Home Assistant Core, and now I'm on Home Assistant mm-hmm. OS. Now, I looked and I researched a little bit about the difference between Core Supervisor and OS, and I honestly couldn't tell you the difference now. 
between the three, and I still don't know that. Um, Ryan, do you think you can answer that? Sure. Really quick. Core is just the actual Docker container itself, right? Supervisor is there's a, or I guess OS is like there's a supervised instance uh, behind it, meaning there's a couple of other services that run in Docker. So the OS is all inclusive, right? It includes the, like, the actual underlying operating system, everything like that, Dean. So when you installed it, you installed the, the entire operating system on a blank virtual machine or, or, you know, even if it's in a general case, even if it's a Raspberry Pi or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the nice thing is there's a couple of other, um, I mean, they call it a supervisor, right? Which is essentially, you can start saying now, start Home Assistant, stop Home Assistant, update the OS, update Home Assistant within the OS. And there's a couple of different parameters there, right? So um, it'd be the equivalent of saying, hey, you know what? I have Windows or Mac OS or Linux or something like that. I need to update the Linux piece there or the Windows or the Mac OS. And then behind there, I also need to update my, I don't know, Microsoft Word or whatever it is, right? Like the application, which is Home Assistant specifically. Um, The nice thing behind the supervised thing, though, is you can actually start adding in more services, right? So let's say, for example, um, hey, I want to add... Nginx as a proxy in front of everything, or I want to add duck DNS or, you know, whatever that is in front of it as a separate container. I want to run like visual studio as a container in there. Um, whatever that is, you can start tossing those services in there and it just kind of works. Um, rather than you having to go in and fiddle with more, um, settings and stuff like that. So one is just a straight up OS, and or sorry, one is just a straight up application, which isn't running in a container, which is what you were originally doing. And the OS, which is now just Home Assistant, right, is uh, basically an entire platform behind it to manage all of those services. Well, that clears it up. That makes a lot of sense. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no worries. <clears throat> so, yeah, I guess so then you, you, you've got your Docker container, so now you're on a virtual machine. You've got, so I'm guessing now your Zigbee, you've solved that issue? Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, did you get buy-in now? <laughs> um, I still can't uh, go past the living room in my bedroom. The rest of the house is still using the uh, one just basic Google ecosystem, and then on top yep. of that, yeah. the single-led, uh, like, proprietary apps and stuff. And <laughs> But the living room... Now is doing it's doing great. I put uh, Phillips bulbs in the living room. I, the, there's two play bars on the back of the TV, mm-hmm. and when I started, once I started realizing how powerful Home Assistant was, was whenever I set up the TV for the first time. This is like days after this happened, right? Yeah. I found on the TV network settings, like you just look up like the IP address, and you have to enter it in manually for LG the TV. Sometimes the smart, mm. the web OS kind of worked, uh, for the integration, but okay. when it fails, you just type in the IP address and it like hard programs it or something. It's, it was a lot easier. Yeah. Um, and then it opens up all of these, uh, like entities and sensors within, I, I want to say sensors, but, uh, it recognizes the device and then it ends up appearing in your logbook. When you turn on the TV, it says LG web OS turned on, turned off. And then you can turn those into automations every single time, that is a trigger for an automation. And once I started realizing that, I started doing, um, like I, one of my favorite automations right now is when I turn on the TV after eight o'clock at night, all of the lights start dimming and then the ones behind the TV start turning blue and it like turns it into like a theater mode when you turn on nice. the TV. Nice. Um, I played around with 
pausing, playing, starting, stopping, and it didn't really, it doesn't register those actions in the integration for some reason. Uh, but oh, yeah, I think it also depends on the app as well. Like I have WebOS as well, and I think mm-hmm. from their like their state point of view, once the app is open, it's playing. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I found it. Um, for example, Plex. I can get the state of Plex from its own entities when I'm running like the Plex through the web app of, oh, sorry, the WebOS app. Um, Plex will tell me, okay, this TV is playing this or it's paused or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but the actual WebOS, you know, what is it doing? Is it playing or not playing? It's rubbish. It's, yeah, quite frustrating because I would love, one of the black holes I have is Netflix, right? I would like to be able to know if Netflix right. is actively playing something or if it's paused because then you could do those movie dim and brighten things, right? Um, right. And that's not just a WebOS thing. I, I've got a Fire TV um, as well, and I'm pretty sure it's the same situation, right? As long as the Plex app is open, it's marked as playing, which is frustrating. And what I've noticed, honestly, is that the Roku integration is so solid. It's, it's, yeah. it's honestly, it's fantastic. And so um, I'll get into this when I start talking about my dad's house, but I have, after using the Roku integration, it really does. It's very accurate from my experience with mm-hmm. like playing start, like all the, uh, the status updates, mm. they come through pretty quick. So nice. Uh, I believe that was, and then I did like the Christmas came around. I did uh, like the Christmas tree lights and stuff like that. were just on off with the, uh, the Philips yeah. 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 Nice. Uh, so, I guess I should probably start explaining what I'm doing now with my dad's house. So, whenever I sent this email to you guys, mm. um, I mentioned that hopefully by the time you read this, I've already started working on my dad's home. So, my dad lives uh, currently with my sister, but at the time he was by himself, and he has some smart home stuff. So, he has a couple Philips Hue bulbs in his house. He has some in his office, some in the living room, and he used solely the Philips Hue app on his phone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he'd run into the situation where like, he's, he's an older guy, you know, and I, I, you need to make this stuff as easy as you can for him. And I was surprised he was even interested in the Philips Hue bulbs. Once he started seeing like the color changing and stuff like that, he thought it was pretty cool. But, yeah. uh, you know, I, I could see that the app was giving him some sort of frustration. You know, he walks into his office and, you know, you click the lights and it doesn't do anything because the lights are turned yeah. off on the app. So he has to walk to his desk to grab his phone, turn on the app and, you know, do all this other stuff. And yeah. it just, it was, I was getting to the point now where like I connected the dots. I was like, I can't install home assistant on a whole house here because I'm limited. I only, you know, I have like bedroom, the living room, whatever. And my dad has this entire house. And he was more than willing to let me start, you know, playing around with some stuff at his house. So I have, I had a Raspberry Pi 4 that was just sitting somewhere, just doing nothing. So I took that to his house. I got a little case on Amazon with like a cooler set and, you know, uh, like a case and whatever. And I used the second, I got two Sonoff sticks from last time and I used the second stick at his house with another USB extender. Um, And I started very simple. I started the other rooms, not the living room. But I started, you know, like easing him into it, showing him how the app worked and stuff and skipped to a couple of weeks. Um, I have I got this like massive uh, order from Amazon of just all of these like smart sensors. Like I had uh, temperature sensors, motion sensors, you know, smart uh, switches, buttons and yeah. uh, a couple dimmer switches. 
And after setting up all of that at uh, his house, uh, he started walking. One of his favorite things is the automatic lights to the office. You know, he walks in and it just turns on, which is great. Yeah, yeah it's amazing, um, right? He, he, he seems to really like it so far. Yeah, yeah. Well, welcome to playing tech support for the rest of your life, though. Yeah, my first career job outside of college was help desk. So I'm yeah. already used to it. She's yeah. got a lifetime subscription. That's right. So removing that, have you done any like Nebuchadnezzar subscription there for your dad's house? Like so that you can remote in um, or anything like that? Or is it just purely local there? Uh, it was local for a little bit. And then uh, one day the power and internet turned off for a little bit to the house during like a really bad storm. And I have temperature sensors all throughout his house. And he was like, oh, well, he had an issue with the Nest thermostat where it was um, the temperatures like gave like a warning for having mm-hmm. the temperature way too low. And he was like, oh, can we check the, the temperature? And I had, to, I had to tell him, yes, we can, but I didn't set it up yet. So I had, uh, as soon as I got access to his local home again, I started, I immediately set up uh, the home assistant cloud because that was like days after I set it up or a very yep. short time after I set it up. Um, but now he has it actively running. He can do out of home control, which is great. Um, and mm-hmm. I have both tabs bookmarked if I ever need to fix anything at his house. Nice. How are you um, with designing the dashboards? Like, do you go in and just use like the standard home assistant automatically generated one? Have you created your own design or are you constantly tinkering with them? Have you played around I've with got- other people's designs? Yeah, I've gotten um, pretty. Cre- I I've, I feel like I've gotten uh, a pretty uh, good setup right now with how it works. Um, I started with the. Hold on, let me pull it up here so I can give you the exact names of everything. Um, the mini graphs, which are great, uh, yes. custom card yep. that is fantastic. And that's another example when you just when you just set it up, it does one thing. But if you read all of the documentation, all the repositories, you start realizing that you can do... I, when I figured out that you can set these up to do animations, like when you open up the page and it, it shoots across the bar and it just looks so much more clean <laughs> and professional. Um, I love that. That was a huge one. Um, uh, the mushroom theme was... Or the yeah. mushroom shadow was like... Yeah. That's something that everyone... A lot of people, like their, that's like their first start into uh, custom cards and stuff and themes. Yeah. Um, I love it. I think it looks great. Um, but that's yeah, I'm all over mushroom music. now. Like mushroom oh, yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. yeah well, it sounds like sounds like ho- the home assistant dev team is too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they they brought on um, like they brought on UI people. You brought in again, like to be able to port a lot of those mushroom features into home assistant, right? Yeah. So, which we're going to see more of, which is cool. Oh yeah, no, I'm sorry. I'm looking at like the mushroom, just different mushroom cards. Um, like the mushroom light yeah. card is just fantastic. I mean, the how easy it is to control. I mean, it's there's a lot of customizations option, a lot of customization options on it. Even like the covers and fans cards from Mushroom. Um, even the yeah. alarm panel card, right? Like it's just uh, yeah, all the custom cards from Mushroom. I think have been fantastic. I don't know, Rahan, if you're using uh, Mushroom at all, but there's even a, a vacuum card yep. in there that you might be yeah. interested in. I, yeah, I saw it. It's a cute little, mm, like three button. Yeah, that uh, vacuum card is currently being used on at my dad's house. He has a Roomba vacuum, and nice. it has like the run, locate, 
whatever yeah. is the third option at the yeah, bottom. Yeah. It's very clean looking. I like it. Um, I have it set up um, I, at the company that I work for. We have I have the I have the opportunity to get um, like old fifth gen iPads that were taken out because they were like old battery expanding and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to find the ones that are as as good in condition as possible, and I, I'll buy a couple and I can set them up at his house. Basically, I just started doing it where yeah. I'll do the iPad, a case, some command strips you don't see, and then some uh, like uh, the cable channels. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, it so far it's been doing pretty great. Um, it seems like he's, uh, you know, starting to understand how to use the, uh, like the wall mounted tablets and stuff like that. <clears throat> one of the, uh, one of the things I would really like to say for people getting into home assistant is to really look for, don't be scared of trying out custom integrations because a good example I have is that my girlfriend was, she's being super supportive over all of this. She's loving this so far, you know, like, uh, minus the fact that like, you know, like a bug happens here or there. We're like at midnight, the, all the lights in the room turn on full blast for no reason. Ooh, Still yeah. figured that out. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a fun one. Yeah. We have, but, but, but there is motivation to figure it out real quick. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So, well, then you do like the, the quick fix where it's, it's, I'll give her a button and it's, where do you want this and what do you want it to do? And yeah. she's like, I want it right here. And I want it to turn off all of the lights when I click it. And I was like, okay, yeah. done. And I gave it to her and she's happy with it and she's loving it so far. Um, but she got me a desk lamp. It's a Govi lamp. That's over there. It's the one changing colors in the back right now. And yeah. I could not get Govi. There's no, uh, there's no uh, like natural integration for it within Home Assistant. Yeah. And I was digging through, digging through, and I found one that some dude made on GitHub. And it was a manual install. I set it up, yeah. and it just worked. And I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, thank this dude on the internet for setting up this this integration because <laughs> I would have been like SOL without it. I, we had mm-hmm. a whiz ball before that did a very similar thing, and we just couldn't get it to work. It just – there wasn't uh, – a clean integration for it, but the Govi one seems to be doing great. Um, you can't make too many commands to it all at once, but uh, it seems to uh, do okay with the occasional lights on, lights off, whatever color, temperature, whatever RGB color you want. Yeah, and and the more you add, so I've had so the light behind me that you see there, the those little bars, um, those are Govi, and then I just recently got a Govi LED, um, like the vertical corner light thing. Um, and, and so those are both in, in home assistant, whatever they're there, they work. Um, except when I got the second one, I noticed my, the API cause they rate limit the API pretty hard. So what happens is the result is essentially they go, okay, well you're talking too much. We're going to cut you off. Right. And uh, so you have to change, you have to start changing those, uh, some of those parameters to say, hey, you know what, talk less or uh, update less frequently, so on and so forth. One thing I'm actually going to be trying, and I've been thinking about this the last couple of days, is um, natively for the GoV integration, there's actually uh, Bluetooth integration in Home Assistant. So as much as I'm not a fan of Bluetooth, I think that may be the better way. Plus, it's going to be a little faster because it is local, right? Rather than me sending it up to the Gobi cloud and then back down, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Which even on the app is, I think, one of the default modes is using Bluetooth um, for the the devices. So 
should, in theory, it should just discover and and get added if I remove the previous integration. But I haven't played with that yet. Hopefully, it's a little more stable. If you do find issues with that, Dean, um, I haven't. I, again, like I said, I haven't done it myself, but it might be worth a shot if you see problems there. Definitely. So that's yeah. just a Govi is all cloud based. So you're sending to so turn on your lights. You have to go up to the cloud and then back down. Correct. Correct. It's, um, I unfortunately really like their products. So it's, uh, you know, for better or for worse, right. I got, uh, it was, it was in, it was in a WebEx room. Um, Phil, you're a part of that one too. And Mm. and where, you know, I kind of asked them like, Hey, what's people getting anything for Christmas or anything like that. And, uh, somebody put these other lights up and I'm like, Oh yeah, I just got one like that, that are, that are Govi. And people were like, but that's expensive and it's cloud connected. And I was like, I know, I know. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I hear you. I, you're right. <laughs> All right. But I don't know. Wow. Okay. I, I can't, yeah. I just, yeah, I, I would have thought local, right? Um, yeah. It's interesting that also the Bluetooth is the fallback protocol, um, not like Zigbee or something. That's yeah. I mean, well, they have because they have Bluetooth built in, right? So even with mm. the app, so I think they actually have some models that are Bluetooth only. I believe. Yeah, right. um, ours on, with the Govi app, it was all Bluetooth. Yeah, exactly. So you're just leveraging that, and with the, um, I believe it works with ESP32. Again, I haven't tried it, but I believe it works with ESP32. Yep. Um, for as a Bluetooth BLE proxy, so I'm. Because I guess that's the way uh, Philips Hue is going, right? Like Philips Hue are bringing in Bluetooth to their bulbs as well to help with pairing and and all that. Or so you'd have to get the hub as well. Yeah. I'll say, I mean, I didn't realize how... I always knew that Philips Hue was like a better company when it comes to like producing this kind of hardware and their smart Mm -hmm. lights and smart devices. But I never... The day I figured it out was whenever I had a singlet dimmer right here and then i had a philips hue dimmer and i opened them both up on home assistant and seeing how many different actions you can do it's it's absurd yeah. like for for yeah. an example i mean like for singlet it's like you know you click it on once on twice on whatever and then for philips hue it goes like every single button you can do press once short press long press for up to one to five six times and i mean having one of those or all of those for each individual button just adds so much utility to something like that to the point where, I mean, sing, I mean, uh, the Philips Hue dimmer just blows it out of the water. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's it becomes, pretty cool. uh, how do you remember what triple tap does or four taps do yeah. and what's the combination, yeah. right? Oh yeah. Up, up, down, down, left, right. Line, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but I did, I am going to correct myself. So I just looked at the Govi Bluetooth, um, what is it? The integrations page for it on the, on mm-hmm. the website and on, on the home assistant site. And it is only for their thermometers, which is really disappointing. So, cause I, I saw it and I didn't look into uh, it. And then now I'm like, okay, well, I disappointed myself you anyway. Yeah. Probably like 30 people that are <laughs> like, oh man. Yeah, people pause this episode, starting to look it's for it. And now they're angry right at you. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Leave, leave, leave the comments in YouTube, people. <laughs> Oh, yeah. that's funny. Um, 
All right, Rahan, so today uh, I've got something for you um, Apple users out there, which is the Mac Geek Gab podcast. Um, it's the show in its 17th year of providing tips, cool stuff found, and answers to your questions about anything and everything Apple. Um, so hosts David Hamilton and John F. Braun take time each week to actually provide tech support to as many listeners as possible while learning at least five new things weekly themselves. Um, and so the great part is that they always uh, make sure each answer has actionable tips with easy instructions for listeners. Um, for example, if you hold, uh, press and hold the mute button during a call on your iPhone, it will put that call on hold. And you can, uh, dictating smiley face, so Siri will actually put that little text-based smiley emoji in your message. Always handy. Um, and saying reply with audio to Siri will let you record an audio message, which is super handy if you're in the car and don't want to just dictate to text. Um, I don't know about you, Rob, but since we had Rose on the podcast and I'm you know, mm-hmm. slowly getting into Mac, I was always a, a diehard Windows user. Um, yeah, I've always found little Mac tips uh, yeah. interesting. Right? Helpful. Um, so, yeah, if you use an iPhone, a Mac, an iPad, an Apple Watch, an Apple TV, or are simply a technology enthusiast, you're going to love learning more about your technology with your two new favorite geeks over at the Mac Geek Gab. Get your questions answered and have some fun along the way. Visit macgeekgab.com. Or search for Mac Geek Gab on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Don't get caught without having Mac Geek Gab in your rotation. Hey everyone, I just wanted to take a minute to talk about the Eufy Video Lock. It's a smart lock that's really easy to set up with just a Phillips screwdriver and no extra drilling. It's got a keyless entry, so you don't need to worry about fumbling with the keys when your hands are full. Also, you don't need to worry about handing out extra keys when you're in a pinch, your kids losing them, or people copying the key and passing it around to each other. Something else I like about the Eufy Video Lock is that it has a camera built in and it works as a doorbell as well. Personally, I think the Eufy Video Lock is great for apartments or cottages where you can't necessarily add extra holes for a video doorbell. My favorite part about it though is that there isn't a monthly fee and your recordings are locally stored, so you don't have to worry about someone else owning your doorbell data. You can find it on Amazon, or if you want to know more, search Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. So Dean, I mean, so you talked about kind of your setup, you talked about, you know, basically everything you're doing at your place, your your dad's place. Um, where are you going from here? Um. One of the things that I really want to get into is one of my career paths that I want to take in is, is, is network, networking, network installations, stuff like that. A lot of hardware yep. um, installations. And one of the things that I would love to do is have uh, a, like a server rack set up and do some self, a lot of self-hosting and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. And that's kind of where the NAS was like an entry level for me, uh, starting up my yeah. own little server, PC for a PC kind of deal. And... Um, as far as home assistant goes, I've gotten to the point now where I don't think I can leave it. I think when I move out and I get an apartment or a house or whatever later in life, I'm going to have this with me uh, yeah. because I can't tell you how irreplaceable it is that it connects different companies together completely seamlessly. Yeah. And if more people, I feel like if more people knew that, they'd be way more willing to give it a shot and actually understand what that means. Yeah. Well, I mean, and even, I mean, not, not to plug my good friend, Phil here, he's actually got a pretty decent blog post of, um, 
how to how to basically build home automation in a rented space as well, right? Because I mean, prior to prior to this place, Phil was renting too, and you know, it's, it's uh, so many like intricacies, right? Like you can't, I don't know what the laws are stateside, but down here, like you can't touch anything electrical. Like you change a light switch, you know, it's like in your rental agreement, you do not touch my light switches, right? Um, yeah. You know, you you. Can't some I had uh, what uh, one of the agreements I had to sign was that I would not let people wear heels in my house. Um, scratch their floors. Yeah, I, I'm not even joking. That was uh, wow. You know, do not allow people to wear high heels in my house. Um, I was on more than one property that I had to, so it must be like a standard huh? agreement thing, right? So yeah, there's so many like because you can't change or alter anything in a rented space, right? Like yeah, it believes you to like light globes and. Yeah, little Have you ever yeah. run into that where you ask someone to take off their heels. Uh, <laughs> hmm, no, I don't. I don't really notice what people wear um, shoe wise. If someone's wearing yeah heels, I'm not gonna yeah really bother <laughs> with that. All right, um, it's it's like one of those things where you're like, okay, I'm gonna sign this, but who? Honestly, who's going to enforce that, right? Like, you're going to take me to court because there's a scratch on the floorboard. <laughs> like, how can you prove that that was a heel that did that? Yeah, uh, yeah. It's it was actually just me using nails to scratch the floor. Yeah, <laughs> not, I, exactly. Not right? heels. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're allowed, um, to wear, uh, we're allowed to wear heels here. That's <laughs> that's good. That's good. Uh, I think you're allowed to do your own electrics too if you want to. Because um, I know Rohan just opens up his box and uh, does his own wiring, and away he goes. Not going to kill himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Within 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 reason, right? Like I know I'm I'm comfortable enough with what I don't know. So when I, <laughs> something beyond my you know beyond my expertise, or where I'm like you know like for electric installing an um car charger uh, in my garage, I'm like you know what? Can I do it? Very likely, but do I want to do it and no, deal with the insurance liability if something happens? Not worth it. Right. Yeah. So. I have a, a little bit more of an elaboration on that question of where I'm going to take this. 100%. Yeah. My goal in life uh, is to have a full passive house, like solar mm-hmm. panels on the top, you know, like trying to make nice. as much energy as you're producing. Yeah. And then also having everything kind of self-sustaining to the point where if, if you know, like the power gets cut off, I have power for a day or something without needing or relying on the electric grid and also... Um, Internet services. Internet services go down. Half the people, more than half the people in the world right now that have smart homes, all of their stuff stops working. And mm-hmm. that is the most frustrating feeling on the planet. You're like, yeah. I set up all this stuff. I spent so much money on it. And the moment web services are down, it just shuts off. And yeah. I can't live with that. So, I mean, after experiencing all of this stuff, I'm definitely, that's my goal in life is to have a passive house that's all locally hosted and self controlled. Yeah, it's interesting because once you go down that path, you you actually find a lot of things that you didn't realize, right? That you just couldn't do. So one example, um, in my old previous rental house, uh, the neighbor that I was living next door just decided one day to cut my phone line um, because you know we had upgraded to a different style of internet, which we hadn't yet at our premises. But he thought, oh, you don't need that cord anymore. Snip. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, I had to then get the phone company out and they were very angry when they found out, you know, uh, that it was actually someone, not them, that had cut the line. Um, anyway, I digress. And so 
uh, when I didn't have internet for, this was like a week, right? It looked like a week for the phone company to come out and repair it. You find things in your house that you just like, okay, why doesn't that work? Like oh, the obvious things mm-hmm. that don't work, you know, voice assistants, you know, which is why Prime Minister's doing voice, the year of the voice in 2023. But even things like you, you mentioned before, WebOS um, as your LG TV. Uh, one of the things I thought, you know, no Netflix, right, unless you're streaming on 4G. So I thought, cool, that's fine. We'll just watch our Plex. You know, I've got a NAS with some Plex um, DVDs that I ripped. Cool. The problem with WebOS is that uh, it's, as the OS name implies, it sort of requires a web connection to launch the app. Um, and so I couldn't connect to my local Plex server on my local Wi-Fi because really? the web, the, yeah, because the Plex app on WebOS won't open without an internet connection. That's really dumb. I think I, th- I think we've had. I think you, I, I yeah, remember when I your uh, internet went out, and it's like, yeah. It, but it's I don't know why. I think I forgot that you said that, and now I'm really dumbfounded again for the second yeah. time. So, so my backwards. I know. I know. It, uh, um, yeah. So so yeah. You try. So what I would recommend you do um, to practice with this is. Uh, kill the modem or just pull out the core, like your fiber connection or whatever you've got there. Uh, keep the local Wi-Fi up and just see what breaks um, around the house, what in your smartphone mm-hmm. breaks, because I think that's the only way to really stress test it. Um, that's true. So, test, yeah. yeah, I think so. The way I got around for the Plex was I had to then use my Roku, uh, which was also frustrating because uh, the Roku needed to get the time from the internet because I hadn't turned it on for a while. Um, and all the SSLs, so I couldn't, uh, for whatever reason, it was really hard to, uh, I had to temporarily give it access to 4G so it could get the time, so then it could boot up uh, for whatever reason. Uh, I think that's what I had to do. Uh, then once I was in there, I was able to then get uh, the Plex app on the Roku to open, uh, and then I had to enable local access uh, through my Plex server so that the local network could get in without using Plex's web authentication because I had, you know, I was signed into my Plex pass. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, do, definitely do a, a stress test. Uh, I'm just bagging on Plex a little bit here, but, um, that, yeah, it did frustrate me that I needed a, a phone home to Plex to run things. The whole idea of Plex being that it's local and I can just play it's it. It's local. Yeah. It's, it's, that's so silly. Like it's, Yeah. But actually, and that was one thing I need. I think I needed. Uh, the, I think the Roku needed to be online to Plex uh, just for the first five seconds of the video to, for whatever reason, just to say, "Hey, I need to download this, or I need to play this locally." Uh, what settings do I use? Um, but because yeah. the Roku didn't have the latest time, the SSL certificate sync was out, or something like that, so it needed to go online to be able to get SSL to Plex or whatever. Yeah, frustrating. So does wow. that. Does that uh, lead you to try to consider other streaming services or streaming apps? Like, uh, what is it? Uh, look, at the moment, my workaround, if the internet does go down for a prolonged period, is to plug a phone and use the 4G um, as, right. as a hotspot for the whole Wi Fi. Yeah. Wow. Um, that's my backup plan. Uh, I am considering, I know these self-hosted podcasts are doing like a month of looking at Jellyfin. I've started looking at Jellyfin just as a very high level moving away from Plex. Um, problem is I'm so invested into Plex right now that I don't really want to uh, upset. Yeah. If it's not broken, don't fix it. Right, And right now the internet's working, so I don't need to fix it. So, right. yeah, that's my, my rant. But yeah, definitely stress test as much as you can. So take out the... 
uh, internet cord and just see what breaks, right? Um, even things like it may not break, but it may be really slow. Um, I found, you know, just, yeah, for whatever reason, things trying to dial home uh, and then going, okay, I can't dial home. I'll mm-hmm. fall back to local uh, can be a thing too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, some of the other things too, do you know, I mean, I, I know a lot of people are doing too when you, especially when you get a little more, um, advanced router devices or whatever, right? Some things you can do there is start doing things like, hey, I want to have, I want to separate my IoT devices, right? And then say, okay, based on that, those devices can only uh, talk to Home Assistant and maybe, I mean, like in the case of like Phil's Plex instance, as an example, um, assuming it didn't need internet, then it talks to my TV and it talks to Home Assistant and that's it, right? And then start building some more, um, kind of dialed in firewall rules essentially. Right. And then, and then isolate those devices and, and so that they're not calling home. Right. And then sometimes you'll find that, Hey, stuff breaks and then, okay, great. You know what? Then that means I do need to start opening up internet access to certain, some devices. So I've essentially in my setup, I've got a couple of different classes, right? One is internet, uh, internet only one is, uh, home assistant only, Right. And then the other one is um, a hybrid of home assistant and internet. And yeah, unless it needs to go talk to something else, at which point that would be like a custom firewall rule for that device. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That would so, be, that seems like a really cool setup. I mean, the fact that, I mean, so you're saying that all the devices are kind of operating on their own channel and that they're all uh, like uh, local. They're all like forced to work on local connection. If, if possible, right? Where possible, like, again, there are, like I said, sometimes I like things that aren't <laughs> necessarily local, right? Like yeah. my Govi lights and, yeah. and, and whatever, um, as much as I, as I hate that I do that, it still is something that I try to do. Right. So, but, uh, where possible, but. Cool. And so Rohan, do you have it so that the Govi lights don't have access to like your NAS, for example, or are they on like their own isolated VLAN? <laughs> essentially. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so those kind of devices are, um, they shouldn't be talking to my NAS. So one of the, again, this is going off on an entire tangent, right? But IOT is a big threat vector from a, from a IT security perspective, right? So, um, IOT is a big threat vector there. So there's not necessarily a reason the device needs to talk to, again, there's no reason my light needs to talk to my NAS, right? There's nothing posted on my NAS that it would ever need to go talk to. Um, so yeah, again, even devices like my NAS are actually like, or it's, it's just firewalled off as a general rule where it doesn't need to, um, it doesn't need to go talk to, uh, each other essentially. So, so would you then have home assistant on like your white, like your, your stand, like the same network as you, because you trust it and it needs full access yeah, or so do you have I, on its own IoT network as well? I I have it on my internal network just because again a lot of other things that I use are on that network. So again, for example, my TV is on my internal network, mm. my Plex server is on my internal network, so on and so forth. Um, and that's just honestly part of the reason is just because I hadn't built it otherwise, <laughs> right? Um, ideally, what I would do is Home Assistant would plug into both of those networks. Yep. Right. So into my internal network and into my IOT network. And then it essentially for stuff on the right side, it talks via the right port 
stuff on the left side talks by the left port, right? So whatever that, that looks like. Um, I haven't gone that far yet. Again, it's, it's, I also want to keep it. I have a, I have a day job. I don't need this to be another <laughs> yeah. job, right? Hundred percent. So there, there's some some level of balance you want to do there, right? It's. Uh, but yeah. Steen, in your passive house or self-sustaining house future, are you going to also look at you know non-smart technologies to achieve that, like you know, like really energy-efficient housing designs or anything like that? Um, it depends on where I'm at in life. You know, if I'm able to build the house and I have the finances mm-hmm. available to do that, absolutely, I'm going to take you know every every speck of uh, creativity that I can out of me, put it in there. Um, as of right now, I'm mainly focusing on trimming down the on the excessive use of stuff that we already kind of do. Um, yeah. You know, whether it you know like if you have. Um, room detection turned on within home assistant you know if you have that set up with like an esp32 or something like that um yeah. and you do the bluetooth connection where you're at uh you know that would help with you know lights turning off walking out of a room the lights turn off but then you have to also think about the fact that you've guessed over they don't have a bluetooth device that's registered under your network so like it'll just turn off on them so there's got to be some sort of uh way you can get around that and you also think about uh i've i've never gotten more i've never used this much creativity when trying to think of different workarounds for things which is <laughs> on a, it's great it's a really it's really great if you like problem solving because there's always some sort of little thing that you can do yeah absolutely um, like there are I've, there are so many nuances in every house right like uh you have three roommates rahan's got a wife i've got a wife and a, a daughter yeah. right like I always use the analogy like you can imagine three, you know, townhouses or three duplicate home, you know, duplexes right next to each other, right? All exactly the same layout, but just the yeah. occupants being different, right? Uh, elderly couple, young family, newlyweds. Um, you couldn't go in and just give them standard automations because everyone, every use of that yeah. home would be different. Um, and that's yeah. where no one, I don't think any company has solved that yet. Um, no. Well, and, and there's, there's also, again, you got to remember, there's also a lot of times people living with disabilities and stuff like that, right. Which, you know, enables certain things or, or forces you to enable certain yep. uh, ways of leveraging home automation and stuff like that. Right. Um, yeah. So I think Dean, uh, creating automations, uh, certainly yeah, requires a bit of creativity, um, and edge case finding. Uh, yeah. Even just in simple homes, right? Like if you just by yourself, living by your own, like yeah. there would be edge cases that you would have to consider. Uh, should the bathroom light turn on at 3 a.m. 100% all the time or should it, <laughs> you know, only on weekends, yeah. right? Like there's so many nuances. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Would you guys like to hear my favorite automations that I have set of up? Of course so we far? would. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> you know it. So. One of the ones that I, my favorite one so far is I found an integration on GitHub and it scrapes the information from NHL's website and it updates uh, whatever your team score is. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, this sounds pretty cool. I was like, I got to try it out. So I set it up uh, on the home assistant setup at my dad's house and I have it set up currently. I tried it on mine first, which I had um, like, our favorite team, obviously Pittsburgh is Penguins and I have it set up so that when the Penguins score every single time they score, 
it does it triggers an automation. And for me, it was a light routine. Uh, yeah. What I did was I had some flashing uh, Hue play bars on the back of the TV, and it would flash <laughs> between blue, blue and gold uh, pretty quick for a couple seconds, and then just stop. And it would go back to whatever it was. Nice. And once I saw it, uh, it started working, and it's it worked really well. I was like not expecting it to be within seconds of a goal. And yeah. that was crazy to see it happen. And I set it up at his house, and I mean, getting the call for the first time that the lights went off when the pen scored was just—it was so—it was awesome <laughs> to hear that. And uh, my sister, uh, my sister was actually sleeping in the living room that night, and oh no, they were playing in Vegas, so it was a late game. Yeah, and yeah. she was sitting there at night, and all of the lights just started flashing super bright <laughs> on full blast, and she thought that, like the cops were coming up the street or something. Uh, <laughs> but it, that means it works. So I'm yeah, okay yeah. with that. Um, yeah. The second thing is I told you about my, how he has the automatic lights when he walks into his office. Yeah. Um, we had to make an exception to that uh, because I started noticing I, I would like monitor the uh, the logbook in the house and I started noticing that his office lights were unavailable from like nine o'clock at night to six in the morning every single night. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? So I went to his house Flips to switch off. He, he hits the switch and I was like, why are you doing that? And he told me it's because the lights are on at night because the cats are walking into the thing and triggering the motion sensor. Mm, and so now yeah. we have uh, an exception on there that it turns off. It disables the motion sensor routine from X amount, X amount. And like, it's stuff like that, that you don't think about when you first start setting these up, that it requires tweaking. It's not just set it up and leave it. And for all of the people that are trying to get into Home Assistant, not only do I highly recommend it, but you have to go into this knowing that you're going to make some mistake, whether it's the one that I made at the beginning where I just bricked a USB device and I pretty much mm -hmm. disconnected every single light in the house to simple things like that with the cats triggering unnecessary lights. Like You're going to run into issues with it, but Home Assistant and its community gives you the opportunity and the resources to find out what's wrong and fix it. Yeah. That's the huge kicker. No, there's not some big warning that says, click this button to fix it. It's not that user-friendly, but it is in the sense that you can, I mean, the logbook, once I started learning about how to like filter through entities and stuff like that in the logbook, it just got so easy because you can see if things get registered and it's all almost, it's near instant. Yeah. Or real time. And that yeah. was just fantastic to get into that. So, so it's really funny. It's uh, speaking of logbook because you've mentioned it a, a few times, right? Like, um, and how useful it is and stuff. So, one of the things is when you don't have default config um, enabled, you don't get obviously all of the default elements, right? Including logbook. So, yesterday, last night is literally when I <laughs> enabled logbook because I was like, I was looking, I was like. I could really use a logbook right now. <laughs> and and like, like I knew exactly what it was. I just never bothered put typing the word logbook colon and then and then pushing it up to my <laughs> to my home assistant instance. And oh my yeah. Goodness. Yeah, it's um but but I think once eventually you get to the point where you're like, you know what, I'm kind of satisfied, right? And then at that point it's just not care and feeding. It's just, it's updating and it's like, Hey, I added this new device and then let me put, make that as part of my routine and, and add automations. Like I find that after probably the, th I don't know, three, four year mark, I, I wasn't really touching home assistant as much. Right. Which I think is a great state mm -hmm. um, personally, but it's like, 
I mean, it kind of leads me to my next question is how are you driving a lot of these automations, right? Like, is it voice driven? I know you said you have Google homes across the house. Um, mm-hmm. Or do you find that you're pulling out your phone uh, once in a while? I know you, you said you had a tablet at your dad's house or you had a, you're, you're looking in, into doing some of those kind of things potentially with, you know, some of those iPads that you get and stuff like that. What, what's your primary way of driving your automations? So, Working backwards from that question, the the tablet at his house is mainly just like for display. I don't really expect him to use it that much. I mean, it's yeah. mainly displaying all the temperatures and if the doors are open and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but as far as triggering and uh, I almost said animations, triggering automations, um, they are yeah. triggered from uh, like obviously the motion lights have a motion sensor that go off. Of, I yeah. typically don't use. Uh, well, before I started Home Assistant, um, I would use voice commands all the time because that was something that just worked with the Google workflow a lot. After mm-hmm. Home Assistant, I'm psyched to say that I don't really use any voice commands anymore. Because Amazing. one, because I, I kind of want to step away from it because I don't really like sure. the idea of the Google Assistant. I mean, like, it's okay. Um, but with how... Uh, like limited it is and stuff like that. I'm just not really a huge fan also because it's like proprietary software kind of freaks me out. Um, mm, yeah. But I can't tell you how psyched I am for home assistant to start getting into voice command, like voice assistance and stuff. I'm so psyched because I don't want it to, uh, it's less like, I don't really use it for like information, like what, how old is this person or whatever. I typically use it mm-hmm. like turn these lights on, turn these lights off. And I, you don't need cloud service for that. And I never understood, you know, like it makes sense why they have it because it's Google and all that. But I, in my, in my setup, I would prefer not to have it, you know? Um, But the way that I drive most of my uh, automations is by physical buttons. I really like having um, like a single button under like a light switch and that triggers something or motion sensors or dimmer switches. And on the app itself, um, I don't know if, uh, it's worth sending you guys like screenshots of what I have set up and stuff like that. But I really yeah. love the fact that um, my lights page, I have like a quick, you know, like everything in one, one page kind of view um, yeah. and working from top to bottom, it's all lights in my room on off. And okay. there's a delay for that. So like they slowly fade on, they slowly fade off, which I really liked. Um, and then I have each individual light under there, like the ceiling light, the lamp, short lamp on the desk, and then next to that, I have a button that is, it controls the automatic lights. So it's a uh, Boolean value and it toggles on and off if I want the automation to run or not. And so it's really nice because if I'm outside the house, I can turn it on. And then after mm-hmm. X amount of time, my lights turn off because I'm not there. And then when I walk in the room, all the lights turn on. Um, and then at night, I typically uh, turn it off on the app before I go to sleep. So that way the lights just don't turn on when I'm rolling in bed or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and then you can That's get into cool. some crazy stuff like room states, you know, where trying to text, you know, someone asleep in the room. I've got um, an Android phone, so I use Tasker. So that um, mm-hmm. actually, no, not Tasker anymore because the Android app um, does it. So that when Home Assistant detects it, I've plugged my phone into the wireless charger next to my bed. Um, if it's between you know, a certain time period, it puts my status as asleep, which can then. Um, once the room, the bedroom after 10 p.m. has been occupied and someone is uh, marked as asleep in that room, um, it will disable the light turning on automation. Um, so that way if I walk in at 1 a.m. and I haven't been asleep yet and no one else has been asleep in that room, the lights still turn on. 
I didn't even think about that. Having it set up so that if my phone's charging, mm. it will disable the automatic lights because there's no reason for them to be on if I already have my phone charging either at my desk or my... That's awesome. That's, that's a really yeah. cool workaround for that. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I've got uh, the FP1 um, occupancy sensors, right? So not just motion, like they actually detect someone being in the room. Um, same thing, right? Like if someone's in the bedroom for... Um, more than five minutes um, and it's a hot day, turn the aircon on during the day. Um, same thing at night. Like just because um, my wife walks into the bedroom, she may not put her phone on charge for whatever reason, but she doesn't want the lights yeah. to keep turning on and off, right? But because the occupancy occupancy setting uh, sensor has her in the room, it will still disable that automation so that, you know, if she rolls around, um, it's not going to turn the lights back on. So, yeah. yeah. A whole bunch of like, there's so many ways to skin a cat in home automation, right? I started using the motion sensor in his office and it has an occupancy sensor built into it. And I started, when I was looking at the logbook, I started seeing that like uh, motion on, off, motion on, off. And then the occupancy sensor would stay on for significantly longer because it Mm -hmm. detected someone in the room. And I was, I was playing around with leaving the automatic lights based off the occupancy sensor. But then I started realizing that it was less responsive than just which sensor is it? Uh, it is an Akara motion sensor, I believe. It's um, yeah, I'm almost certain it's Akara. So there's a few kinds of the Akara one. So I've got the um, so I've got both. Uh, so the Zigbee one that you're referring to, which I think is the P1, or just their standard motion sensor. The yeah. they have a motion and an occupancy sensor in it. Um, for that sensor, I just use motion. I find the occupancy uh, sensor that comes out of it to be rubbish. Same reason, right? It stays on for ages. Um, I think it's just a, a calculated occupancy sensor that that device uses. I've got, um, I've got this one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I have that. Yeah. I've got a couple of those. So I use those in the, in the hallway because I find them really fast um, to detect when like motion. The other one that I use is the FP one, which is the millimeter wave um, sensor. Um you can only get them on AliExpress from China because they're only available in China. I think just the CES, Rohan, you were telling me they've announced the FP2 yeah. uh, is going to come out, so that will be awesome. They're just going to have MATA support as well. And, yeah, and it support. sounds like that's going to be worldwide, hopefully. So. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the FP1 is awesome. Like, I've got one looking at me right now. Um, just moving my fingers would be enough for it to know that someone's in the room. Um, and, and that thing, yeah, just – I have a few issues with it, but that thing just – as soon as I walk out of the room, uh, within 30 seconds of me leaving the room, most times the lights are off. It doesn't need wow. to wait for like four minutes for the timeout for the motion sensor to be sent or whatever. So, uh, and that's a game changer, right? Like I walk out of my office. Once again, if it's nighttime, the lights uh, will turn off because I've got my uh, Philips Hue lights around the office on. But during the day, um, instead of turning the lights off, it'll dim them down to like, one percent, and then if I walk back in the room before they're completely turned off, it'll slowly bring them back up. Um, just cool things like that, right? Like just instead of just hard turning lights on and on, it makes things yeah. smoother. I find definitely. Um, do you have any questions? Like as a a new person at home, is there anything that's like puzzling you at the moment that Rohan and I could point you in the right direction? What What would you guys typically use? Uh, so uh, both of you, I'm under the assumption that both of you guys use Node-RED. I do. 
You do Phil not. does not. Phil does not. I, okay, I, yeah. I'm, I'm pure YAML, to be honest. I'm a developer, so I prefer code. Okay. Um, so for Rohan, do you think, what is an instance where you would choose Node-RED over just YAML coding? I've actually moved pretty much all of my automations over to Node-RED. Um, and essentially, if it's right now, I'm at the point where I really like the debug capabilities in Node-RED. I really like the drag and drop kind of visual. I'm, I'm unlike Phil, I'm not a developer. I'm more of a visual kind of um, person. And you kind of see how it steps through. Like when you run an automation, you get the status of, hey, this was hit and then this was hit. And, this, and that step view, which now I know there's a lot of that built into the native automation uh, editor in, in the OMSs and UI. Um, which ironically released like, I think like a week after I moved everything to Node-RED. Mm-hmm. So, but, uh, but overall I, I'm, I'm pretty much Node-RED first at this point. Wow. Um, and there's actually some really neat things that I do as well. So there's some, again, just, there's some products out there that like, even from an MQTT perspective, um, I've got, I actually run two MQTT servers, one at my house and one not. Mm-hmm. So if there's something that I want to rate limit, as an example, um, uh, I, I send it to my one that's not at my house. And then essentially node red reads that it, it rate limits it and then sends it to, uh, to my house here. Right. Um, in, into MQTT. So as an example, so there, there it lets you do some other stuff that I wouldn't normally do through home assistant mm-hmm. um easily if that makes sense there's some where node red gets kind of complex is when you start to do things like um again you can put in what they call it functions right and essentially it's little bits of javascript in there um so it is powerful if you want to do those kind of things but realistically a lot of people have made a whole bunch of different types of um nodes which is what they call them with just a little bubbles that you drag in. Um, so yeah, I mean, realistically you can do a lot outside of node red, even without home assistant. Right. So, um, I obviously pull in a lot node red when, when you integrate it with home assistant, you'll pull in a lot of these entities and from home assistant and everything. And then based on different things, you could build it. Right. It's to me, it's just a lot easier to visualize. Cause I'm like, Oh, what am I trying to do? Am I trying to do as trigger? Am I trying to do based on, you know, X, Y, Z parameters. And, and it's all right there. And I'm like, Oh, right. This is what I'm trying to do. So just the way my brain is wired, it just helps me build automations faster and uh, and I can always kind of access them from from Node-RED there. Um, and and like I said, stepping through things is very nice and easy in, in Node-RED. Mm-hmm. And you can build debug points in kind of wherever you want, which is nice. I've heard a lot of really good things about the debug within Node-RED. Yeah. Meaning to check it out. So that's definitely next on the bucket list. Yeah. Um, I, I The last episode that I heard you guys talking on the podcast for the January release, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you guys mentioned that you believe that there's a chance that you know ESP Home will start having the uh, microphone add-on for it, and then you could start making your own little. Uh, if I heard you guys correctly, because uh, I know that they already have support for a speaker, as you guys were mentioning. Yeah, because I did the um, the let's get loud event. Where let's they get announced, loud. Like, yeah, yeah, the um, like creating, I guess a Sonos com- competitor, like you know, multi-room speakers for the, the smart home, right? Um, 
I I would say like with the year of the voice um, this year, there has to be a device that can interpret like that voice, right? It, it would make complete sense for ESP Home to support audio modules um, at some point, uh, especially like just Nebuchadnezzar has ESP Home. They've got uh, the voice control system now and Home mm-hmm. Assistant. Like it would make perfect sense to leverage all those um, different entities um, to work towards that single goal. I've got also just a silly question, like a very beginner question that I never really looked up. The uh, ESP Home and Home Assistant, are they both – how are they related to Nabucasa? <laughs> so I think we had one of our very early episodes, uh, the creator of – the original creator of ESP Home, Otto, um, on the podcast. Yeah. Um, this was when he just – you know, I think he was creating – yeah, yeah, he was still in high school. It was crazy, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and he was like, oh, I'm creating things on ESP board, and I've just created this, like, sort of a wrapper to, you know, do the hard work, you know, of installing all this, like, stuff, right, and made it extensible. Um, I think Otto then sort of got busy, uh, needed to go, uh, basically, you know, life takes over, and the ESP Home project was sort of not getting as much love as it as he could give it, right? Because um, life was too hard for him. So Nabucast actually acquired ESP Home. Uh, so they completely own, well, I say own, it is still an open source project, but Nabucast yeah. now has the maintenance rights of that project. Um, yeah. So Nabucast pays for developers to actively develop ESP Home. Mm-hmm. Um, similar to the way Nabucasa pays for uh, staff to actively run the home assistant. Yeah. They, they essentially oversee and maintain. Yeah. If that makes sense. Okay. So go get your cloud subscriptions. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yep. so you're, you're actually helping two projects, right? Both ESP Home and, and Home Assistant. And the WebJS and a few other things as well. Like there's, yeah. it's not just yeah. Home Assistant, right? Um, it's fantastic, right? Like the more people that uh, support Nebuchadnezzar, the bigger the open home gets. Yep. And I'm I, the one thing that's amazed me so far with only a couple months into Home Assistant is how much stuff gets done. Like, you know how many times, how many things in my life get updates and, you know, it's like a small bug fix and that's it. That yep. A Home Assistant every yep. single month adds integrations, it talks about all the breaking, you know, all the breaking, as you guys talk about in your podcast, your Mm -hmm. monthly podcast. But I mean, it's just, there's so much to it and they're doing so much work for it. I mean, the January update seemed like that was already a lot. And that was, you know, that was a smaller, everyone was on vacation kind of uh, mentioned. I think it's number one or number two active open source repository on GitHub, right? Like That's incredible. Yeah, it's, it's... it's it's crazy though. I think what six, maybe seven years of using it later, it's still like it still wows me. Like, hey, it's cool that we're still throwing these many updates in as an in per release, right? Like, so yeah. And and I don't know. I, I feel like it's also like snowballed a little bit, right? Like, might have to go back and listen to our like very early episodes to see like how many updates and stuff like that there were. But now I feel like when we started this podcast, when like it was like you'd have a bunch of updates. We're like, whoa, this is a big one. And I feel like relatively now it's a small one, right? Just in terms of what we've, what we've kind of come up with. So it's actually even growing faster in my opinion, at least that's at least what I think I might be wrong, but. Well, the broken changes certainly got less um, because of the move to removing things out of YAML. 
um, we would have yeah. a whole episodes, right? Like, okay, this is going to be a big one. This is going to be a big one just for breaking changes. Uh, yeah. But now that we've got through that pain, it's sort of the changes that you're seeing now are not broken changes. They are actual moving the product forward. Yeah, which is nice. As a remark for all of the people starting Home Assistant, um, I would say the two first things that I would recommend as a uh, as another as a fellow beginner, um, one hacks is huge. I don't know. Oh yeah, hacks install hacks. It's beautiful. I mean, it makes it so easy. You can scan. I mean, it gives you a list of all the custom integrations that are already listed on hacks and you just, mm-hmm. sometimes it's, it's manual install, but most of the time it's just a, uh, a one click kind of solution and home assistant restarts and you're good. Um, the second thing is I would, I got very lucky that I didn't have to worry about backups for a little bit. I never had a, like an OS breaking issue, but I know IT enough that you should have very proper backup setup. Um, I currently have, there's an integration on Hacks, I'm pretty sure, that links it with a Google Drive and it just backs up all of your home assistant backups daily or however, whatever the interval you want it to be to uh, Google Drive. And it's yeah. super easy to set up and I that's irreplaceable. I haven't had a breaking fix, cross my fingers so far, um, but in the event that I do, I know I'll be covered now because I have that. Yeah, yeah, definitely backups. Um, even, the backups even the native now, backup has gotten really good, yeah. I was going to say, like, the native backups are also now available because they only, for ages, they were only available if you used um, the Home Assistant OS. Um, now, even if yeah. you're just running the Home Assistant container, the core container, you have access to native backups. It's in your UI. Enable it, and then, as Dean said, just go in, enable uh, one of the community add-ons, and you can then push those backups into Google Drive I run mine through Duplicati, which is a uh, another Docker mm-hmm. container that runs backups for me. So every two days or something, uh, it will go up and push my home assistant backups um, up to an FTP or OneDrive where I've linked it up to. Um, then I can recover it that way if I need to. But yeah, definitely the rollback mechanism with the native backup is definitely yeah. useful. I do have a question for you guys. Um, when when it comes to your social lives, when you have people come over for the first time and they, they get introduced to all of this stuff, friends that have no idea anything about smart home or IT or tech stuff, um, how do you introduce it to them when they ask about it? How do you answer these questions? And like, how do you like introduce them to this whole new world of smart home stuff that you have set up? Well, for me, it's I don't right um, when 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 they need to know about it, or sometimes what happens is my good evening, like depending on what time, how long they're here, my good evening piece will run and lights will turn on, and sometimes people are like, whoa, what happened? And and then at that point, I explain it. But until then, it to me, it should be frictionless. So I don't, again, I use smart switches so that it's the same as standard, whatever, right? So that that's kind of my my use there, Phil. Yeah, pretty similar. I try to people know generally, like if they come over to my house, like they'll ask things, oh, what's that on the wall, right? Or um, you know, what what's what's in the bathroom? Like what's what's looking at me in the bathroom? Um I'll just explain, uh, oh, it's just for the lights, right? Um, or the lights, you know, if someone's walking into the room, oh the lights have turned on, you know, and then I'll go into the spiel. It's I find it very hard to drill down into 
just how powerful the smart home is because I, I feel as though like I get excited about, you know, oh, uh, I walk into my office at 8.30 a.m. and my calendar knows it's a work day, so the blinds go to a certain level and, and all that sort of stuff, right? Whereas I don't necessarily think people get that excited about things. They'll be like, oh, well, can't you just open the blind <coughs> yourself? That's where I'm sort of where I, I struggle a little bit. Um, same thing with, like, the blinds, right? Like, some of my, if depending on what time of day, like if you turn the TV on um, in the afternoon, uh, the blinds will just go down to because otherwise the sun's going to annoy you, right? Um, and people are like, oh, whoa, what, why are the blinds going down? What's going on, right? Um, so I sort of give them the high level, you know, oh, it just I've just automated the lights and the blinds, right? Um, I don't, you know, generally go down into the level of, uh, yeah, if you open the door for five minutes, the aircon's going to turn off, sort of thing, right? Because I want to. There's no point of doing that. Um, that's where I'm at. Like, what, what's your thinking of that? Like, have you have you tried to explain? It's people because I don't know. I get, I always get defensive because I always think like people like, why, why bother? Like it seems like a, a time sink and you're just a nerd. Get it, you know, do something better with your life. Uh, what have you had to, if you got the same uh, struggle? <laughs> um, I'm still new. So I'd still like fresh in my brain and I'm still like learning mm-hmm. about it. And so when people ask me, they, I feel so bad for them because I'll just go down the whole thing from start to finish. And they're just, they're just yeah. like, I just asked how your day was and, <laughs> and you're telling me all about like Zigbee and how the devices communicate and devices and stuff. And I'm just like, I mean, man, I, I always tell people, like, I always think my biggest flaw with this is that I think everyone is into it. Because it just makes sense. Because yeah. it, it makes sense to me. So why not everyone else? So like, I'll pitch it to my yeah. friend. I'll be like, Yeah, man, you got to set this up in your house. And he's like, I don't even know how to update my computer. Like, yeah. I'm not going to yeah, know how to exactly. do this. And I'm like, You're right. Yeah. You know what? Maybe it's probably better if you just <laughs> stick with your stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like someone will go, Oh, but how do they like? How do they talk to each other? And then like, it's and then you know, and I don't mean to be offensive to anyone, but it's the people that you know wouldn't know the difference between Wi-Fi and B or G, right? Mm-hmm. And you, then they're asking, you know. I'm not going to explain Zigbee, Z-Wave, HomeKit, um, and all that to you. Like, it's just magic. Respectfully, like it's magic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's yeah. magic. Yeah, it's it's a good way to put it. Um, no, it's it, yeah. I think it's uh, a, a struggle sometimes to just convey how powerful the smart home is. If anyone you know says, "Oh, that's really cool," um, I always try and bring it back to where the future will be or the other use cases for it. Just out like I'm, you know, fortunate that I'm an able-bodied human um, and mm-hmm. uh, we don't have any special needs, but, you know, for elderly people, people with disabilities, there's a lot of powerful stuff that can come from this. Um, and I think once you start saying like those sort of things, like, you know, um, yeah, like, yes, I can automate my lights, but I could also have that sensor up there can detect a fall, right? Like, so for elderly people, you know, that's where the technology is heading, you know, um, that's when I sort of get a better engagement, like, oh, that's actually not bad. Like that makes perfect sense, right? Um, so maybe there's like an opportunity for that too, like just you know, open people's horizons in not what it could do today, but what it will potentially do for other people in the future as well. That's that's a really good point. I've noticed what well, it's something that I have noticed is that I've been talking so much about this to the two main people are my girlfriend and my dad and they don't understand how it works, but they will come up with these ideas. They're like, "Okay, can you set this up so I can do this when this happens?" And they're yeah. starting to understand 
I mean, it's funny because like they'll say it in the exact same way that you could set up an automation in the UI, but like that, you know, I don't think it's not something they're interested in doing. It's just up to me to do it. But I mean, they, yeah. it, that just shows you how well the UI for Home Assistant is set up. I mean, they're like, hey, when you do this, can this trigger this? And I'm like, that's literally verbatim what it is to set it up. Yeah. And then it just goes down from there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you, do you guys have like a favorite integration or one that comes to mind that just an integration or I'm not an integration, an automation automation. Yeah. Do you guys have a favorite automation? Uh, automation? Oh God. We keep asking this. I've never actually thought about it for myself. Um, my favorite, it, mine has to be the blinds, just the ability. Like when I wake up in the morning and I walk, walk into the kitchen for the first time, the blind, like the house goes, I feel the alarm control panel, it moves into a disarmed state, so it goes from armed night to disarmed. Um, when that happens, uh, the house goes into awake mode and my mm-hmm. blinds open. Um, so that way if I sleep until 9, my blinds are still closed. But, yeah, well, after I think it's after 7.30 a.m., if someone walks into the kitchen, the house moves into awake mode and you get blinds around the house start opening up. Um, I walk into That's the office nice. in the morning, blinds open up if it's a work day. My shade comes down so that I have natural light coming into the office, but I have privacy um, for people, you know, I'm not looking over my shoulder while I'm working. Um, yeah, blinds and lights. Just walking into a room, like walking into the bathroom, walking into any room, um, and the lights immediately turning on before I can even think about trying to hit a light switch. Uh, it's magic. I, they're my two favorite styles of automation. Yeah. I think for me, it's probably, and again, this is the silliest, simplest thing. It's, it's actually my good night automation, right? Cause it goes in, makes sure my garage door is closed. It locks the door. It does all of those things. Right. And then, and obviously on top of the lights and, and whatever too. Right. And, uh, but it's also been tweaked enough that cause I've given my wife a, like a button, a smart button essentially. And, uh, she never uses it and said she likes to just call it good night. So it'll actually be like, okay, well, if the TV is on and something's like, like if I'm watching TV, then leave the living room light on. And then, you know, instead of turning off all the lights and it turns off all the lights around it because, uh, thing, but yeah, so that's, that's typically, uh, again, it's, it's, it's a very silly, simple, like every, uh, that's pretty much the first automation that people do, right. It's like a good evening or a good night kind of automation. Uh, but Again, sometimes simplicity wins. Right? Well, from a textbook so. definition, I mean, I feel like automation—a good automation—is one that makes your life easier. And I mean, you just described yeah. it perfectly. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. So, Sweet. if you want to get into a crazy, one of my crazy automations that I really like <laughs> um, is my washing machine. So, I I have a blog post about uh, knowing when the washing machine is finished yeah. or what state it's in, like you know, if it's drying or whatever. Um, so I've extended that out now so that once the washing cycle has finished, um, if I then go, if a door is opened um, within, I think it's 30 minutes of the washing machine being emptied, mm-hmm. um, it, the house will know that I've put hung washing outside. Um, so that just flicks an input boolean. So home isn't uh, then reminds me on my dashboard to say there's washing hanging out outside. Don't forget to bring it inside. I also have a weather station outside. Um, and if the weather station starts detecting rain and their nose washing is outside, it will send me an alert to say, Hey, I've just detected that it's raining outside. You've got washing outside. You need to bring it in before it gets wet. Um, 
And then I think yeah. it's an hour before sunset or two hours before <laughs> sunset. If I then go outside again by opening an external door, um, it then clears and tells the house that I brought the washing inside. Um, so I don't have to manage that. That That is awesome. That is really cool. And do you, the question about the blinds, I've noticed that when uh, people set it up, it's one thing to talk about, oh, your blinds coming in or sending a video of the blinds. But I mean, I've, from what I've heard online, it sounds like they're pretty loud, but I'm sure it depends on what kind of blinds you get, what kind of motors you get. Cause it is, it is just like a stepper motor or something, just flipping yeah. your, your blinds it, on it and depends. on. It depends. So there's so many different options, right? Um, it depends. You've got curtains, blinds, um, Venetians. Um, so in my rented house, I had uh, the blackout blinds um, just go up and down. I can't remember the name. Uh, goes away from me now. But um, because I was in a rental, I couldn't put motors in the blind tube itself. Mm-hmm. So um, I used uh, like motors. Uh, I think I used the Soma Um they were called and they are, I had the Soma and Brunt and Brunt was a cloud-based thing that was uh, very loud to the point where I had three blinds in the living room. When they started going, you had to pause the TV because you couldn't hear the TV, right? Like they're wow. going through like, cause they're pulling the ball chain, yeah. right? So it's, you know, every time the chain goes into the cog, it's, um, Oh my goodness. So it's loud, right? Now that yeah. I uh, are in my my own house, I put uh, tube motors in. Um, they are from ZemiSmart from AliExpress. The selling point is you know Silent Drive. Um, they're not too bad actually. Like they're like between the brunt, you know, pulling the cord down itself, and these motors just spinning the tube around. It's night and day. Like they're quiet. Um, it also depends uh, how they're fitted. Like some blinds are louder than others just because I don't know if it's the weight of the blind or just how well the blind's been installed. Um, like yeah. the shades are generally quieter. But, uh, yeah, if you've got the TV low enough, uh, you would need to pause the TV while the blinds are going up and down. They can be pretty loud. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, uh, they're yeah, much quieter. It, you can definitely like it would wake you like if you're a light sleeper and the blinds went up that it would wake you wow and um yeah. last question do you guys have you guys ever uh done anything with like what are some have you ever used uh, an esp32 in one of your devices in your house and how have you used them if you did what do you mean? Like, uh, I know a lot of people will take like a base ESP32 and they'll hook it up and they'll just plug it into power and it has like a built-in mm-hmm. Bluetooth so they can do like room detection and stuff like that. Like, have you ever yeah. used uh, an ESP32 in your own home? How often do you use yeah. it? Because I've never done that yet. Yeah, I've, I've actually got one directly in front of me that I was starting to build a bed sensor on. But um, I also have, so I have the... So for my plant, not this one, there's uh, that one over there has a uh, flower, like the, the Xiaomi flower. Uh, oh my God. What's it called? Miflora sensors in it. Right. Mm. So I use the ESP 32s. I've got, a, I've got two of them across the house running BLE proxy. And I have that, I have those connected in via there. Um, so yeah, it just kind of, what's well, there's a battery popped into it wait like 30 seconds and bam, it's there in home assistant with all of its sensors exposed. Oh, so it just runs off a battery. Sorry. The, the Xiaomi plant sensor does the ESP 32. I just have 
plugged in. Um, I, I got a friend of mine to 3D print me uh, just some little cases for it. That is cool. And uh, yeah, so it, it just pops in there. And then again, I don't run anything else on on these ones. So it literally just plug in the USB in through there. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I have one that I just got out like it, Wednesday, so three days ago. Um, <laughs> it was in my previous rental. So it was I used it to as a Bluetooth gateway for the Soma blind controller that was in my rental. Um, which I didn't yeah. have a use for anymore because I now have the Zigbee um, Zemi Smart motors in my new house. So I pulled it out the other day to connect to my IKEA sit-stand desk, um, mm-hmm. which uh, now when I uh, hit uh, the podcast recording mode um, in Home Assistant, it will lower the desk to a certain height so that the camera is at the right angle. Uh, when I close off the podcast today, it should then move the desk back up um, yeah, my goal is to have it so that, uh, in home business, I have preset levels because it becomes as just like a blind cover so that during the week, uh, when I'm at work, yeah. I can use my stream deck to have like a stand button. I'll just push that. Um, the desk will move up to a standing position that's set that I preset. Um, uh, just keep myself, you know, reminding to use the sit stand desk instead of just sitting at it all day. Yeah, I always forget. I even have an app on my laptop for the... So Phil and I have the same desk as the Ikea Edison desk. But yeah. uh, I've even got an app that literally is like move to sit and move to stand and it's got my things pre-programmed and I just never do it. Yeah, so. no, you never... Yeah. If I could... Like that way, if I can tell Home Assistant to uh, do it for me automatically. Like it doesn't give me a choice. Yeah. Like I'll let, Home yeah. Assistant has access to my calendar so it will know not to do it during a meeting. Um, as long yeah. as it does it outside of a meeting. Like... Yeah, I'll have no option, right? I'm yeah, even just, yeah. uh, I'm just sorry, Dean, I'm thinking out loud now. You've got me thinking about this. Good. Maybe I'll, um, I'll do it so that when I leave the room for five minutes, when I come back, the desk is at a different height. So that way it doesn't annoy me. Like if I'm in the middle of typing, I yeah. come back and I have to stand. You got, you got a Russian roulette it as in like, <laughs> when you come back, it's a random height. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. One time you're crouched over, one time you're upright. <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, it's uh, that's uh, that's actually good. I might actually steal that one off of you, Phil. Um, if you have the ESP32 code, I'll just stick it on my. No, it'll be a home business automation. Like ESP32. No, 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 just on, the... for, for the did it actually detect your desk natively? Uh, well, so sorry, we're getting very off topic here. Uh, yeah, 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 it yeah, was. Yeah. Um, uh, I had trouble. I had to use a. I've just googled the. Uh, uh, IKEA desk, and then I had to use uh, a fallback method on Bluetooth, so I can't see. Um, uh, essentially, there was an issue like uh, with it constantly getting updates, not f- detecting when it stopped moving. Um, right. But essentially, the, the TLDR is Home Assistant can uh, move it up and down and set it to a position, but if I change the desk manually, it doesn't get an update back into Home Assistant. Oh, moved it. Okay. Yeah, because I, I I had one a while ago, and, and it wasn't really working for me and that's why I thought you had it figured out. So I was like, okay. Yeah. I mean, I so rarely touch the perfect. button anyway. So, um, yeah, I'll just yeah. let home just control it from now on. Yeah. I always have people lean on my desk and then it always goes up, down, whatever. Well, I have a two year old that likes to come in and go, Oh, what's that? <laughs> I'll just flick that. Right. So I actually have to put a, a Xiaomi uh, smart switch behind it. So on my stream deck, when she comes into the room, I quickly turn it off. So when she comes to 
pull the lever on the um, desk height adjuster, it doesn't move it because um, otherwise, yeah. Have you changed yeah, some of your uh, smart devices just because you're a toddler? Uh, not, not really. The, the desk is the only one that I've really had to, to change. Um, we're pretty lucky in that she's not, we, we haven't had to put baby gates up. She's not very, uh, self-righteous about that. Like she's pretty, like if we tell her don't do something, she generally stays away. Mm-hmm. Um, I've have made a, a conscious effort to just make sure that all battery sensors are above reaching height just so she doesn't pull them yep. down and get a button cell battery in her mouth. <clears throat> Not that she would put that in her mouth, but you know, I just <clears throat> couldn't live with myself if that somehow did happen. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, if anything, the automations have uh, been good in that uh, at one point uh, we were in a, we were trying to get her to sleep by herself in a bed and she would come down in the middle of the night and she would get scared in the dark but because the mo- she was tall enough to activate the motion sensors. She would get out of her bed, get out of her room, get into the hallway. The hallway would then turn the lights on for her, uh, which then gave her the confidence to come down into our bedroom and say, hey, I'm here. Uh, I need I need that's, you, right? That's really nice. So, Do you um, – sorry. When, you, when she gets uh, older, are you going to – I've always had the fear that like if I were to have kids and I would have all the automatic lights that they would get used to the fact that they wouldn't have to flip light switches and then they go into someone mm. else's house and they just expect lights to turn on and they walk into a room and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. And I mean yeah. like is, at a certain point, do you expect yourself to start disabling some automation so that they have some sort of – I don't know if you have anything no. in there that's no. – uh, to, to be honest, and maybe this is just my arrogance um, – I don't think that I should disable those automations. Like mm-hmm. we have our house, like this is our house. This is her house. Um, we shouldn't have to uh, sacrifice our house for her to fit into the world. Like we've created a world for her in this house. That's a great point. Um, and yeah. that's the that's way deep. our house works. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I know, right? Um, she will like, she's not going to be 20 and yeah. – be like, oh my god! Like you have light switches, right? Like I don't <laughs> see her that in her future. We won't raise her like that. Um, but fast, fast forward to point, though, years, <laughs> to that yeah. point, though, uh, what will the technology be like in eighteen years? Perhaps we are on, you know, just the bleeding edge of how homes will be by the time mm-hmm. she's, you know, that age, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I certainly see that uh, in some trends in terms of like new house designs. Um, you know, a lot of houses, like when you go to, they, they're selling, you know, the smart home package, right? Um, and I, I think smart home technology is still very early days. Um, and I, I don't, I think the light switch yeah, in its current, in its old form of, you know, just on off is on its way out. Uh, even, you know, if you try and buy a light switch today, like it's generally got a dimmer module attached to it um, yep. or, you know, it's capable of, something right uh so i think eventually we will see uh the technology that we're using in our smart homes today probably uh becoming the norm that's awesome yeah. Yeah, i hope so that would be amazing i hope that the yeah. the um open source world gets a little bit more i want to say like popular or like user-friendly but like you know you think if everyone starts moving towards that then it would be a lot more support the community grows and then it gets way easier to use so yeah. in a perfect world, right? 
Dean, um, yep. welcome to Home Assistant. Thank you for coming on and sharing your new user experience, especially uh, someone coming on to this late in the game for Home Assistant. Like, it's good to see like how new users are still discovering Home Assistant and how they're using the new mm-hmm. ways of Home Assistant. Um, it's yeah, really cool to see. Um, we appreciate, we'll leave any links, um, to the stuff that you've talked about today in our show notes, of course. Um, if you've got any questions, YouTube comments or feedback at haspodcast.io. Uh, Dean, thank you very much for the time. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks, man. If you want to share your home assistant journey or come on as a guest, reach out to us at feedback at haspodcast.io. That's H-A-S-S podcast.io. The Home Assistant Podcast is hosted by Phil Hawthorne and myself, Rohan Karamandi. For links to topics we discussed today, check out our show notes on haspodcast.io.